Welcome to the Gallery Date. I'm Jen Singer, founder of Jen Singer Gallery. Thanks for joining me for our weekly date to chat about art and life and perhaps the art of life, all in bite-sized, not at all fancy, but definitely savory episode nuggets. Let's mingle, my friends. Don't forget to press record, Jen. Hey there, thanks so much for joining me today for our Gallery Date. I am so happy to see you. Thank you for joining me today. I've been so looking forward to this uh, episode. Um, I get to host my first ever guests on the show, Janine Hayes and Brian Mason at the AfroChic. This is a really special episode because I get to sit down with Janine and Brian to discuss their new book launching on November 15, 2022, titled AfroChic, Celebrating the Legacy of the Black Family Home. It is a powerful, visually stunning celebration of Black-owned homes featuring inspiring interiors and family histories of notable Black Americans, including Chef Alexander Smalls and actor Danielle Brooke. With engaging texts and beautiful photographs by the late Patrick Klein, this book amplifies many issues currently faced by African Americans, including gentrification, redlining, and more, highlighting the Black family home as a missing piece in the narrative of both interior design and American history. Showcasing the amazing diversity of the Black experience through striking art and heirloom-filled interiors, stories of family and community, and histories exploring the obstacles Black homeowners have faced for generations. This groundbreaking book honors the journey, recognizes the struggle, and celebrates the joy. For more than a decade, AfroChic has been documenting the Black family home and Black contributions in the world of design through projects with HGTV and House Beautiful, and in their own publication, AfroChic Magazine. Janine Hayes and Brian Mason are the authors of Remix, Decorating with Culture, Objects, and Soul. Their media and design brand, AfroChic, celebrates African diaspora cultures through their lifestyle magazine, podcast, and product lines, which are available through Paragold and First Dibs. The couple resides in upstate New York in their lovingly named Afro Farmhouse. And now, without further ado, uh, Janine and Brian. Afro Seeks in the house. Hello. This is so exciting. Glad to be here. Oh, Janine and Brian, I am so excited to see you both. Welcome to the gallery date. We are getting us in the morning. We are not morning folks, but we got I know. to talk to you. <laughs> so sorry. I, want you to know this I know the time difference. For you. Oh yes. Yeah. So we're like, oh my God, 10 o'clock. Like, oh. 10 o'clock is, is not sorry. something we would do for anyone. That is okay. We were like, only for Jen would we do this. I love y'all so much. <laughs> we're sorry, really excited to be here. I mean, it's like, you know, we don't get to see you that often. So anytime we get to talk to you, we're, we're so happy to be able to. Yeah. We're all kind of like Brooklyn, like New York expats at this point. So unfortunately, <laughs> we, don't, we don't get to hang out like we used to. But I uh, no, used to love coming by your gallery and just kind of hanging yeah. out in the area, walking around. It'll, yeah, it's one of those those New York memories that just kind of keeps popping up for us. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I miss those days so much. I miss y'all so much. So um, I miss you too. Yeah. I. Oh. Anyway, well, we're gonna like have some catching up to do, but. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, thank you so much. You are my first ever interviewees on the show, um, oh. and. Huge congratulations on your new book. Uh, it's dropping in November, um, and it's called Afro Chic, Celebrating the Legacy of the Black Family Home. Um, 
It is not only visually stunning, you guys, but the personal stories of home and culture and history drew me in and they are so moving. Um, I mm. love this book. Uh, I've known you both for years now, obviously. Um, I think it's been like eight years, I think. Wow. I yeah, yeah, I know. I was trying to do the well, math and yeah. I was like, I think it's been eight years. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and since I've known you, you continue to create, build, grow, and inspire. So thank you so much for mm-hmm. taking the time to be here today. Um, oh, so my first question is, how are you feeling about the launch? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think with every book, um, this is the second one, and um, you're just really happy to get it out. <laughs> so I think yeah. that's kind of it, you know, and Uh, People do compare, even people who've had children, compare it to having children. Like, it's like, it's great. We got here. This Now it's time for you to go out and like, you know, and like us to start this journey. So um, I think we're just really excited for people to be able to read it in November. And um, this time actually talking to people before, you know, it actually is is out in bookstores for sale we've just really enjoyed the response that people have had to the book so far um and that the enthusiasm for it um because i think for us it was just a book that we wanted to do and we felt like something hadn't been done before and was going to broaden a conversation and um people are getting that so that's actually been a really cool feeling for us yeah it's really cool, cool to kind of to be doing this again I mean, uh, yeah. I can't say we we never really expected to write the first book until it, it kind of came up. And then, you know, even when the second book came up, we were like, all right, well, this this really seems like it, it's the right time. And it's, you know, we're right. We're positioned perfectly for the conversation that we want to have. Um, exactly, yeah. They do kind of they, they're not necessarily like direct sequels, but they kind of fit together. So if Remix mm. is sort of the start of a conversation, we kind of see the black family home as the uh the continuation of that conversation so in the first one we're very much about here is how you use the different pieces of interior design to tell a story and mm-hmm. celebrating the black family home the the point is really to now let's start talking about the story like these stories that we have to tell and um a lot of it just going along with not really seeing a lot of black homes represented in design books on tv things like that but then also we didn't want to create something that simply showed black people in luxurious homes because there's so much to the question of home and to the issue of housing for black Americans that uh, a fuller story needed to be told. And, uh, you know, thankfully we were able to tell that in, 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 in whatever small part we could to try and bring mm-hmm. together some, just enough to give a sense of how wide and pervasive, but also how, meaningful and important on so many levels this story is yes i love the depth uh that it gets into and and history and um, the history of home and the black experience so um you know you mentioned in the book that the black family home is a vibe um, more mm-hmm. than just a place to where people live. It's a feeling. And um, this book has a whole vibe y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you that. Um, I, I didn't put it down to be honest. I usually have to do like audiobooks because I work a lot and I have a toddler. So I only usually get to listen to books while I'm working out, <laughs> but I got this digital, you know, galley copy 
and yes. started reading it. And I was like, cancel everything. I'm busy. Mama's busy. Don't bother me. <laughs> emails off. No emails. Uh, poor little Maddox was just like, he was like, mama, mama. I was like, no, mama has to finish this book. <laughs> so <laughs> I was into it. <laughs> Um, we love to hear that. We love yeah, to hear was, that. That's awesome. Really Sorry, great. Maddox. Sorry. Yeah, my apologies to Maddox. For <laughs> yeah. He gets plenty of mom uh, time. <laughs> yeah, we love that, um, though. That's, that's very hugely important to us because, you know, when you write a design book, when you do, when you're working in design, you know, the, everything is, it's about the visuals, you know, yes. and, and that's always the constant give and take in our book writing process is, you know, having space for the imagery, but also you know, the words, because, you know, for us, the words count, the words matter. And we want, we want the two to work together. So we don't want the the words to just sort of be decoration around the pictures. We we're actually trying to say something and tell a story so that you were able to to find the text and be engaged by the text is, is very, it's super encouraging for us because it, it means that we created something that's, you know, readable and worth reading. It is. And it's not just a coffee table book. I'll tell you that it's not, it's like, um, a book people need to read so um well done <laughs> on making that happen like you you brought it all together and the stories there there's so many stories that are amazing um there was you continue that quote that i read um by saying it comes from the food we eat the music we hear the stories we share it comes from the elders in our families, the ones who teach us to act right, be quiet and pay attention. <laughs> I know those elders. And <laughs> the ones with stories, recipes and lessons that we never forget, whether an apartment, a condo or a house, a new builder, generational home, the feeling is the same. Home is like soul, indescribable, but you know it when you feel it and you miss it when it's gone. Much of that feeling is carried in the unique aesthetic that defines African-American design. Um, and I think the soul of, of a home is the thing that often gets lost in design. I think it's really easy to like an in interior design to, to lose that feeling and that vibe um, that you convey in the book. And, you know, throughout the book, through the storytelling of each of the featured homeowners, you feel mm. their connections to the soul's past and present in their families and traditions. And it's, it's a connection that I think can only come from and inspire authenticity and design and really create a vibe that you describe and that's conveyed throughout the book. Um, so oh, thank you. Really thank you so much. I mean, I think that, you know, one of the things I think that we're always trying to get at, and Brian and I, you've known us for years, we, we like to tell stories. I mean, that really yeah. is what we do. <laughs> I think that's yeah. kind of... Y'all tell know, great think, stories too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we love the narrative and mm -hmm. we do it by writing and we also do it by design, mm -hmm. um, by designing spaces. For us, it's about you know, less about like, oh, let's bring in pretty furniture and more about like, who are you? How mm. do you want your home to feel? How do you want your home to sound? And, you know, it's also great talking with you as a gallerist because art plays a huge role in that vibe. Like it, you know, like if you don't have art in your home, like sad to say it's soulless. Like you're just not, totally. there is, there, there's missing, there's something missing. And when we are talking to people, whether we're looking through the amazing homes in this book where you see art 
all through these interiors, um, what we're really talking about is art that people have a connection to and that it helps them tell their own story um, in in a better way. So when people walk in their home, those pieces are are really helping describe bits of themselves. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think that um, what we love about art, especially from a design perspective, is it's from a narrative perspective, rather, is it's where you can be blatant. You know, you the colors you're using, the furniture you bring in, the 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 knickknacks, the things that are kind of scattered. Like these are all things that can evoke, but art can say. You can yes. say what's important to you. You can say what you mean. You can, you know. Mm. So, and then for us, like the, a lot of the the really amazing art moments in this are are things that you wouldn't necessarily automatically think of. So we have mm-hmm. um, one woman in North Carolina who actually built with her own two hands constructed a giant cotton tree yes that was shauna was that shauna shauna yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yes and so shauna she she did this uh to really reflect her family's relationship to cotton which you know we all have that that basic understanding of what the african-american relationship to cotton historically has been but for her family that relationship is the same but at a certain point her family became landowners. They became cotton farmers because that was what they knew coming out of slavery. And because of that, because of the success of that business, you know, everyone, all of the children and grandchildren of the family were able to go on, become highly educated and move on. So cotton was really became as much as it was part of a, a burdensome history. It was also mm. became the foundation for a bright future for right. that family. And so like, this is part of why the why the book is constructed the way that it is and the way like there's always so many things that we're trying to include and so many things we're trying to push Mm -hmm. um one of the things is the ways in which the black experience is understood in this Mm -hmm. country because it's it part of the 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 outcome of the lack of representation or the constant fight for representation is the black experience is always presented in these very very small number of very limiting tropes and what we're trying to do is actually show that there's a diversity of that experience. You know, even back in the ports of history where we feel like everyone had the same experience, they didn't. Right. Uh, even in the point like today where we go, well, black people are either this or they're that. Well, you know, everyone in this book has a, a different experience. Everyone's coming from a different place. There are points of connection. And mm. so we're using that larger narrative uh, that we weave through the journey of home sections to kind of show where these pieces are, how they all fit as part of, as the outgrowths of this larger history. We're trying to put human faces on a historical story. And we're also trying to give personal stories a historical context because there's a different level of understanding that comes when you can put those two together. Mm-hmm. And for this particular story, this, this missing character that we mm-hmm. say the Black family home is, right. uh, that story has to be understood in... In context, but also, as we say in the book, from from different angles, you know, we have to get as close as the tell of an individual story. And we have to get far enough away to look at it as it's developed over a span of generations mm-hmm. uh, in order to really begin to understand what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing I'm going to point real quick that we, <laughs> we try to push is um, <laughs> just kind of the, uh, the understanding of what design is. You know, we said before design, we usually is pretty things arranged skillfully in a room. Mm-hmm. Um, but through it, we can start to tell these bigger stories and these wider stories and, um, and look at a lot of things as they've developed over time. Mm. 
Right. And I'll stop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I love it. And I think just going back to the art piece, um, oh my goodness, you cannot miss the art in this, in these homes, uh, in the book. I especially love, um, how much figurative art is in, in the collections of these homeowners. Um, I, all I could think of to say, like, when I was like, representation matters, artists, representation matters. That's like, I really like that just kept on coming up when I was looking at um, the collections. Um, I also love seeing works by two of the nicest and most talented artists that the three of us um, have the joy and pleasure of knowing, uh, Jerome Lagarigue and Tim Wakamura. Um, I love those guys. And I was so happy to see their works on the walls of such beautiful, inspiring homes, including yours. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, but from what I can see in in, um, these images, art is critical and is everywhere, which I really love. And it really does reflect that, um, you know, the, the soul of the house that we keep on talking about the soul of the home. Um, yeah, so and that was something really that we needed. Yeah, so we wanted to celebrate because growing up just culturally um, in African American homes, mm-hmm. um, art is there. It's never yeah. been something that was like, oh, like you had to be some sort of like big collector yes. or you know anything like that. It's not you know, treated necessarily as something that you're doing to either mm-hmm. show success or. Um, maybe to have, you know, pieces that, you know, or have value so that you can sort of have them find first find financially. Right. Um, Trophy art. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're yeah. there that, you know, they're just pieces that people have loved and enjoyed and, um, and it passed down through generations, right. Yes, and yeah. passed down. And so I think that that's something that, we just grew up with, we thought about that, like, oh, you know, grandparents, people had art at home and parents, art was in the home. Um, And so reflecting, seeing that reflected in the book was something that was just really special for us because it is such, um, such something that's such a big part of the culture. Um, Mm -hmm. And yes, we have our, our Tim Okamura piece in our, our library and we love that piece. And it was like, it was the perfect piece for us because it expressed something that we love. Powerful warrior mm-hmm. black yes. woman. And 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 I, I can actually say I have a husband who is very much like, if we're going to have art in the house, I only want it to be women. So <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Brian, always been a big fan. <laughs> so I'm like, Oh, okay, fine. You know, so that piece was so perfect. It, it satisfied that this powerful woman, Brian, is a martial artist. And so, yes. you know, her as the samurai um, yes. also was just, you know, so cool as yeah. well. And so totally. that piece for us was just something that we gravitated towards. And mm-hmm. and I think that's the the amazing and beautiful thing about the art you'll find throughout these homes is people who have collected pieces that just add to their own story. I love in yes. Stacey Blake's home, the gallery wall she has in her son's yes. room and yes. just positive art for them. You that's know, it. That are, you know, they wake up to and see in the day and it's just mm-hmm. positive. And so I think that utilizing art to tell one story and to mm-hmm. also 
be able to be inspiring to yourself and to future generations is something that is is beautifully done and woven in throughout the stories in the book. Yeah. And then you also have, like we said, uh, you know, that personal connection. So talking about the uh, cotton tree, but then we also have uh, Jason Reynolds, who part of the art in his home is, you know, a framed rejection letter that his grandmother received because she wasn't able to read and write from a, a, it was actually, I think, believe it was a, a, a custodial job, but because she couldn't read and write, they wouldn't give it to her. For him as an author, that becomes a, a source of daily inspiration because he says, I work with words, you know? Um, and he has this, uh, this whole amazing uh, take on what he does and, and how he does it. And, and so much of it coming from, you know, this, this, this moment in his grandmother's life. Um, and then just kind of seeing like things like that and the, the ways in which you know, even things like photography will get blended. We have a couple of homes where, you know, classic historical photographs are blended with family photographs and gallery walls. And so you have these amazing black and white jazz age photos. And then next to it, we're like, oh, that's my auntie. You know, so being able to kind of <laughs> Love it. move all of that together um, and, and show them, case them all, because, you know, you're claiming really all of this is part of your experience. All of this is part of your heritage and part of the story of, you know, who you are and, and how you got into this space. Um, and really all of it points to, you know, as we talk about a little bit about what, you know, African-American design is and, you know, how it's understood and how it feels and, you know, the, the kind of the things that make it up and understanding those things, you start to see where that vibe comes from and, and how it's constructed and, and most of all, why it's, it's so very much needed. Yes, yes. I think it's really needed. I think, you know, like the richness of um, the images and, and I have to say it wouldn't be right to speak about the beautiful images in this book. If we didn't mention Patrick Klein, the brilliant photographer who I think he photographed pretty much everything in the book. Is that correct? Yeah. Everything. Uh, no, yeah. Uh, two homes. Oh, two homes yeah. There were a couple of, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Um, but he photographed the interiors of, of these homes and he sadly passed away this summer. So um, we're sending lots of love out to Patrick. Um, I remember oh, you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for, for mentioning him. Yeah. yeah. I remember you introduced me to him years ago and he's just the loveliest person. So I know he's going to be greatly missed. Um, um, he was, he was incredible to work with and we miss him tremendously and mm. feel like he's, he's on this journey with us, you know, yes. in, in some way. Um, but he did shoot 14 of the homes in this book. And wow. I, one of the reasons we worked with Patrick and we worked, we worked together for, I think we said God. over 10 years, like 13 years yeah. in total wow. that we worked and collaborated on projects mm. um, is because Patrick was one of the few photographers that shot on film and mm. in understanding film understood how you really got to the soul of a space. Mm -hmm. um, and even though he shot this book digitally, his eye for what matters in a room um, is something that was, you know, no one else could do what he, mm. he did. And we really yeah. wanted to be able to show the soul of these homes. And people ask all the time, you know, a lot of times when people do books, the, the reality is you go into these spaces and you, you, you basically, just like in magazines, you come in with all your own stuff and you style them the way that you want them to look. That's right. This is yeah. not, any of these homes in this book, this is how these people live. And this is mm -hmm. very authentic 
and Patrick was able to go into their authentic space and capture how they live. Yeah. It's one of the things okay. we love yeah. most about Patrick because we've been on those shoots where, you know, you go into a space and everything's great, but every you take it all out and you put it in everybody. And just what we love so much about Patrick is he shot what was there. Yes. <laughs> and that was, that was where the beauty came from. And that was so much of where the soul came from. And that was always what we wanted because it was mm-hmm. always like, well, we don't, we don't want to, to make up what this person's home is. Just like, we don't want to make up what this person's story is. We want to show the beauty of what's there and yes. um just i guess talking a little bit about the experience of of creating this book um because it was written in a pandemic where we're talking about it now in a pandemic and um one that that actually did hit us personally uh Jean and i mm-hmm. both had covid um mm-hmm. i recovered with me has long covid and so we weren't really able to travel uh mm-hmm. patrick the 14 homes that he shot he shot on his own we weren't able to be there we weren't able to travel with wow. him um yeah. And I, that was one of my questions was how, you know, how did COVID impact? Cause I know your stories. I know Janine struggled with long COVID. So how did it impact the development and um, creation mm. of this book? Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, COVID definitely threw a wrench, you know, into all of our, all mm-hmm. of our lives, you know, yeah. and um, one of the things, because like Brian said, I, you know, I have long COVID and that mm. is a journey of, of navigating a lot of different chronic illnesses that are complex and kind of come together. And you, you, um, you have to really take care of your body. Like you just yes. really can't, um, uh, there's no day where you can be lax at all. Um, mm. but we still knew we wanted to finish the book, no yes. matter what was challenging about my health. Um, and that was important because we felt like it was like this window, this, this moment. Um, and, and even though the publisher was great and was like, you can wait another year. It was just one of those things where like, I don't know if this moment will be here the same in 2023 as in 2022. And when we started writing the book really was during the, the beginnings of the black lives matter movement in the Mm. United States. Um, we were still in Brooklyn at the time. We had people marching down our street. We were from our window cheering them, you know, on. And that being such a powerful moment of looking at systemic racism and that it became this global movement everywhere. We saw in the UK and all over people marching and talking more about um, systematic racism, it was like, this is why we need to tell this story right now. And so this is urgent. <laughs> it's urgent. It's yes. the urgency of the moment, right? So it, it we just we couldn't be detracted from it. Um and I'm so glad that we weren't, you know, detracted even with illness. We just were like, we're gonna get this done. And like Brian said, you know, we asked Patrick, like, you know, you're going to go to all these different places. Uh, you know, he went to Hawaii. His very first shoot oh, was Bridget wow. Coulter, Don Cheadle's house in Hawaii, which we were oh, like, Oh my God. We wanted- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we wanted to be there for that one, but. What a cool didn't. shoot that must have been. Oh my yeah, God. I'm so sad y'all missed that one. <laughs> uh, we were like, we we're on the phone with them. We're like, oh, we can't go. But he was the only person we knew that could go into these homes that could engage with the people, make them feel safe and comfortable because we yes. were going into people's homes before. I think there were even, we did have vaccines. We had vaccines. So he had just right. gotten vaccinated. Um, but we wanted everyone to feel completely comfortable. Mm-hmm. And 
and just to know, like to trust him, you know, and, and they did, everyone was so open to him and um, he got to know the family and yeah. he ended he up out, friends with everybody. Yeah. I think she does. He came out with friends in every house. Yeah. You know? um, that is brilliant. And I love that about him. He's such an engaging, warm person. And um, who I, you know, I, I just, I can't even believe uh, that we don't get to, experience his work in the world beyond yeah. this i mean this was probably was this one of his last big projects this was this was wow. his last big project this was um and you know thankfully before he passed he actually was able to edit all of the imagery so not only was this you know all of the images that he took but you know with his hand editing them it's his you know in terms of the images um, you know, where the, they were the vision that we all were, were hoping that this mm. could be. So, you know, we feel like this is a wonderful, you know, celebration of him too. Yes. And, and the incredible work that, that he did for so many years, showcasing mm. some of the most beautiful spaces you, you know, yeah. you, you've ever seen. Yeah. Brilliant. What a, what a lasting legacy for him, you know, to, mm. um, you know, for his work to carry on. Really yes. cool. So uh, there, so there were so many things that I loved about this book when I was reading through it. But I think the thing that resonated most um, was the element of safety home brings to Black Americans. So I'm just going to read a quote from the book. You say, um, when asked what their homes mean to them, safety was the first response of every homeowner in this book. Life in America is not safe for Black people and never has been. While the sense of safety our homes provide is not the same as physical security, home is a respite from the psychological pressures of the outside world. For that reason, Black homes are filled with comfortable things and things that comfort. Um, end quote. Uh, so can you speak a bit about this and the importance of home ownership and creating safe personal space in the Black community, especially now, these crazy days? time that we're living in oh yeah absolutely um well i mean yeah that's exactly as it says you know uh, life mm. in, in america is not safe for black people and yeah. it never has been and i think looking at it now you know we see like the brianna taylors the, the george floyds and knowing that you know those are two of the most prominent not even anymore the most recent names in a list that continues to be added to um and part of the reason why it was important for us to have the the level of historical context in this book that we do, I mean, it starts at uh, the point of emancipation and reconstruction and follows all the way through to uh, the onset of, of COVID-19 is to be able to, to clearly make the point that you're seeing the same cycles repeat themselves over and over again. So the violence that you see African-Americans, Black Americans are subject to, are vulnerable to on a daily basis is no different now than it was during the Tulsa massacre or, you know, before that, during, you know, uh, prior to uh, the end of the Civil War or even during Jim Crow. So, I mean, it's mm -hmm. the, the idea essentially that that as Black people, we are not at home in America is one that is constantly being reiterated and it's part of the reason why so little attention, so little representation is given to the Black family home. Because the idea is essentially that you are not at home here, you can't be at home here, but we are at home here, this is our home. And part of telling the story in this historical context is to show how 
the journey to home for African-Americans and the, the peaks and valleys in that story line up with some of the most pivotal moments in American history. So mm-hmm. it's not a question of Black history. It's almost not even a question of American history. It's just a question of history. Right. And, and being able to weave those things together and also and really take a look at the reasons why, why it's missing in the first place. You know, what are the what are the motivations for its omission and what are the outcomes of its mm-hmm. absence? And um, we do get a chance to take a look at some of those and, and the ways in which, you know, design has to be understood as a, a cultural artifact that plays into this, you know, this this entire society as it as it works. So right. um, because of that, because of that feeling and. and it's a direct catalyst for the the way that black homes are designed uh, for the feelings that they, they work to evoke and safety being paramount among those, because, you know, at home, once you get home, you there's a breath that goes, I made right. it because, you know, we say this all the time when, when someone is killed, when like a, a, a Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Mike mm-hmm. Brown, Trayvon Martin, Amadou Diallo, however far back you want to go. Um, it's never about the person who's killed. It's always about, it's about everyone who's left. You know, mm-hmm. it's for Black people, for African Americans to know that it could be any of us at any time. Mm-hmm. And for any reason or no reason at all. That's it. Um, we see traffic stops, you know, are, are, are absolutely lethal statistically to African-Americans, right? Um, because of, of police violence and, and other forms of violence, you know, um, with Ahmaud Aubrey, you know, had nothing to do with the police, but he was, you know, murdered as well. Um, so because of that, every time you, you step out your door, you know that there's a question as to whether or not you'll, you'll see that door in that home again. So when you make it there, there's a breath. It was interesting. That, and we never, you know, one, I will say like all of these homeowners were mm. so generous and open mm. with us about their stories we didn't you know we had a mm. list of questions we really didn't know where the conversation was going to go but they yeah. all told us so much about their family histories mm. and the first homes they remembered and their homes now and, and and some of their struggles and and you know when we asked at the end of each interview we would say what does a black family home mean to you and mm. every one of them answered safety and that was really interesting because that's what it means for us too. Um, and like Brian said, I think that in America, there is an incredible weight to being black. Um, and you don't necessarily think about it. You just carry it, you know, mm-hmm. every single day. And so when we moved into this house where we're outside of New York City now, um, mm-hmm. upstate, uh, it was really important to me. I was saying to Brian, like, I want this house to be super black. Like, I want people to know that black people live here. I want to, I want when they come in that they're like, there's art, there's representation of blackness everywhere. Which is basically every house we live in. But yeah, I, yeah. Like, <laughs> I, know, yeah, I wanted that like feeling. And I also wanted that feeling of like that hug. Because um, yes. I was really nervous of moving outside the city. Um, mm-hmm. New York is interesting in that um, New York had uh, some of the most slave ports in the United States. A lot of people oh, wow. don't realize that slavery was yeah. huge here. 
Um, and even though people think, oh, it's just the South, like, no. And, and actually, so mm. there are lots of Black people all throughout New York, all throughout upstate. And those ports, I mean, they came from the UK. You know, the ships came yeah. from yeah. The, the UK to New York. It was. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So exactly. So yeah. so there actually is a, a big Black population mm. here. Um, and that helped us feel safe and that we were like mm. seeing other people that look like us. Um, but also, you know, just needing to feel like you have a respite, even mm. just for a moment from mm. all of the violence. But like Brian said, knowing that even still like Skip Gates, um, when, when the police officer, when his neighbor called uh, the right. police on him when he walked into his own house and he lived in for several years and the neighbor was like I don't know that guy and it was kind of crazy and the police came in his house we all know as black people that that safety is never a hundred percent that right. um anytime violence racism can enter your space but crafting mm -hmm. space in a mm -hmm. way that is comforting is you know, in a lot of ways, it, it's just part of survival um, right. in a situation where you're constantly, um, you know, your survival is always in question. Yeah. Like your, your mm -hmm. survival is, is, is often a question. And so, you know, that becomes one of the, the ways in which the world of an African-American is very different than the world of, of a white American, you know, mm -hmm. uh, whether you're occupying the same space, in some cases, even, you know, regardless of how close you are, um, right. the world is a very different place for both. Mm -hmm. um, because that sense of, as you said, you know, physical security, that, that sense of, of safety is not the same as physical security. Right. Um, but it also looking at for us again so uh, pushing you know our understanding of what design is and looking mm -hmm. at it not as a a a skill a pastime a a an occupation or even an industry but looking at it as a cultural mm -hmm. artifact yes. and seeing how it can be read back into the culture that creates mm -hmm. it um yes. you start to realize as we kind of go through in the book that you know black design as it exists is a response to a number of needs that American history has crafted for Black people in this country. Mm -hmm. um, and it's important to say in this country because, you know, when we talk about the need for safety, for um, representation, for control, mm -hmm. for celebration, for things like that, uh, yes. the need for those things, the need to express those things in your home where you have that level of control is very different in the U.S. than it would be you know, in, in a, a nation that was all black. So someplace in the Caribbean or someplace on the African continent. Um, so those, the need for representation in that way would be a very different thing. But mm -hmm. for us here, it becomes a very important thing because that's a constant fight outside right. of, you know, safety is a constant struggle. You know, am I safe here? Is, a, is, is something that's always on your mind, even if it's in the back of your mind. But also, where am I seen? How am I seen? How am I represented? You know, we look at even how black homes have been represented, you know, whether it's the homes of the uh, celebrity athletes, actors, musicians, right. you know, people who show up on TV. And then the idea that everyone else just lives in public housing. Right. And then everyone's idea of public housing probably comes from an episode of Good Times that they saw a rerun of, you know, mm -hmm. um, with no idea of, of what what may exist in between. You know, one of the things that we did want to show with this book is that it's looking at at African-American design or, you know, mm -hmm. black design in America, however you want to term it, 
um, it's not about the ways in which we would traditionally define the design style. Right. It doesn't come down to here are the colors you use, here's the era of furniture that you use, here are the stores you can get it from. The design in these homes are, are, are wildly different. You know, totally. we have everything from small, just amazing New York apartments to yeah. giant sprawling 60 plus acre ranches. Mm -hmm. And they're all designed in, in very, very different ways. But it's that feeling, that vibe yeah. is the thing that connects them. And to understand how it's able to be expressed in so many different ways mm -hmm. and why it continues to be a connection, regardless of whether you're in North Carolina, New York, San Diego, wherever you may be, or Hawaii, yeah. um, or Germany. We even have right. like one home that lives in Germany is, is really a matter of understanding the needs that inspire mm -hmm. that design style and how that design style speaks to those needs. I think that also what comes out is the celebration of um, the black home. And, and so I think from that um, standpoint of needing to feel safe, you also, it, it also seems that, the need to celebrate your, you know, your own culture and, you know, in the media, it, it, you know, it's just horrible what, um, you know, the African-American community goes through and, and being mm -hmm. the way that, you know, you're perceived or mm -hmm. um, talked about in the news and, mm -hmm. you know, or, you know, the stories that come up that are just so heartbreaking, you know, teens getting shot for just walking down the street with a hoodie on, you know, like this is a place you need to come and just feel like you can celebrate yourself and where you come from. And that really comes through. I think that celebratory vibe comes through. Oh, uh, well, thank you. And I think our, our publisher will be so happy to hear that. I yes. think it was a lot of, <laughs> you know, conversations about how do we, write a book that is inspirational design, mm -hmm. tells a historical narrative, mm -hmm. tells these individual stories as mm -hmm. well, um, but that is still celebratory. And I think mm -hmm. that that was something that we had to kind of really talk to the publisher about is that the, the Black experience in America is joy and pain. And yeah. we have to present all of that yes. to really sort of show the fullness of our experience. And so we can't leave the painful pieces out because um, we've gone through that. And to me, it shows incredible resilience. Mm -hmm. um, the painful pieces are also why we celebrate because right. yes. um, we are continuing to still move forward for equality um, you know, globally. And so, right. you know, that celebration, like, we got to celebrate, you know, we have yeah. to celebrate every, yeah. every stride that we have made. And um, for so many of these homeowners, um, it is a celebration for them to buying a house, mm. you know, being able to have a place where their family has a future where they can, yes. you know, raise their children, hopefully have something as an heirloom that they can leave to them. And then for some people, they didn't own their house, but they had these incredible 
you know, apartments and spaces that that were filled with heirlooms and pieces that were passed down and that their mother gave, grandparents gave. Um, and that is that is part of that, that celebrating the those joyful things um, yes. and knowing that we've achieved so much and that we can still go on to achieve more. Yeah, there's okay. so much, there's so much joy. I mean, every, every, every homeowner that we talk to, I mean, even for ourselves, I mean, just there, there's, there's, so much enjoyment, there's so much pleasure, there's so much mm-hmm. warmth and love. I mean, people, people who raised families and, and you know, mm-hmm. so many children, people who, you know, they, they, these places they love, but they live around the corner from their mom. So, you know, they, mm-hmm. they always have family nearby. And, and that's what the Black family home is. It, it is mm-hmm. joy. But for us, we felt the responsibility was to show joy in context mm-hmm. because, the way that, again, we start talking about these tropes and representation. And so, like, it's always divided. We're either talking about yeah. Black joy, in which case it's all joy, 100%, just people dancing. Or we're talking about Black suffering, in which case right. it's 100% suffering and, and degradation and misery and, and that's it. Mm. And we felt like it was such an important thing to be able to to actually show the two together. to show Because you can't see the relationship. You can't see how, like, they are both at once part of the black experience in this country and so to divide them to look at at one without the other is is a half measure um and we certainly totally. didn't want to write something that people could point to and say look here's 16 black people with great houses so everything's fine because you know that's very clearly not the case and so knowing at the the, the outset of this book being inspired in part to write this book by the understanding that, you know, African-American homeownership has dropped to levels not seen since before the signing of the Fair Housing Act. And and this is before COVID. So this right. is just coming out of the, the Great Recession, you know, in the, you know, like, in the early 2000s. Um, and then COVID hit. And so now we're seeing, you know, it's increased impact and in, in what was happening. So, so we absolutely couldn't write a book that just said, hey, Black people have houses. This is great. You know, we had to write something that, that would talk about, you know, the rest of the story and, and try to inspire us to, to kind of continue to see like that That's this it. journey is ongoing. Yeah, I really love the history and background that you share in the book um, sections about the African-American uh, African-American experience of home that began long before emancipation, the Great Migration and the journey home um from the Great Depression to the Great Recession, all of those those segments that you put into the book with historical background was brilliant. Um, and what came across is that for the Black home in particular, history cannot be separated from design and the struggle to find home persists. So um, I'm going to read another quote, if you don't mind. Um, you state, like every part of culture, design is shaped by history. The shape of American history has created a set of needs for African-Americans which are reflected in our homes. Much as we have with food, music, and dance, African-Americans have used design as a way of meeting those needs. African-American design is uniquely experiential in that it isn't defined by look as much as it is by feel. There are no defined color palettes or furniture styles. Instead, it uses a diverse array of approaches to craft environments that evoke feelings such as safety, control, visibility, celebration, and memory. Uh, Each of these plays an important role in the feeling of home that these spaces convey. Control as an element of African-American design 
is about the ease with which our creative decisions are made. Home offers a space that doesn't have to be carved out, contended for, or defended once won. It doesn't ask us to explain ourselves, speak for our race, ignore its microaggressions, or be on the call or be on call for teachable moments. Um, one never asks to touch your home. That was a really powerful moment when I was reading it. Um, you continue to say, in place of all that, home gives us the control we need to express and represent ourselves freely. Um, I mean, I think we just touched on a lot of that, obviously. Um, but then it even, I was even more moved. So you say that uh, that the black family home is missing character and is a missing character in American history is part of the work this country has been doing since 1619 to send a very clear and direct message that African-Americans and all black people are not at home in America. But this is our home and against all the headwinds of legal oppression, social violence and economic marginalization, black people have and will continue to make ourselves at home in the country that many of our ancestors helped to build and in which we all have a vested interest. And in our continuing story, there is value for all Americans. That, I, I mean, between those, those two, I mean, the, the first quote was earlier on in the book in the introduction. And then that last bit was later on in one of those highlighted um, historical segments that you added into the book. And, um, I think that, you know, those, that's where it got me. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, the, seeing the family homes and, and the color and the, and the warmth, that was powerful. But when you start thinking about these deeper topics of, you know, you're not welcome in your own country, that is not right. And that is so, um, so important in this story of design. Um, mm. So I think it was really important to include that background in the book. I think it's brilliant. well. I think that I, I'm going to say this man is so brilliant. Like he, <laughs> he, you know, is it, you know Brian is so good at taking really complex ideas mm. and then you know just just these statements and I was like that all both those things you read that was all him you know I'm there like I can curate the homes and talk <laughs> about the design and you know and I, I'm a good editor mm. I will go through and you know okay we, we've got to like we can't we have to cut these words out just because you have so many only so many words so many pages what but is Brian, Brian wordy <laughs> <laughs> you know okay. what? So. Yeah. yeah so you know but then how he gets across yeah. um these really complex ideas I I always love that and mm -hmm. and before I know you, I'm gonna give you a chance to talk but I wanted to just say that <laughs> when we started this book it was you know I was like we should do this book that's going to be about um house tours of mm -hmm. of black homes and honestly, at first he was like, I don't really see why we need to do that. Like, why is this necessary? You know, this doesn't yeah. seem like a book that really needs to be, you know, like we that, that's something that we need to do. And it started for me because I was reading an article. Uh, I don't remember where it was. It was about Juneteenth. And they were talking about when emancipation occurred in the United States and how 
black people were just let, you know, they, they, the government was like, you cannot, you know, keep people enslaved any longer. So the plantations had to um, release people. And when the plantations did that, the plantation owners did that, um, they, they were done. So people were on the streets and for many years, black people died at enormous Mm. numbers from disease, um, lack of care. People Mm. would just be dead on the streets and people would walk by and walk past their bodies. And it was something that it stuck with me so much. Like I was just, I couldn't, Mm. I couldn't like, I was like, I can't even like understand what that could be like. And it made me think like, this is where the story of home begins for my ancestors Um, and taking that to Bri and saying, okay, we're going to do something with these house tours, but we need to tell that story. And he, and he brilliantly um, tells that story with the journey home. Mm -hmm. um, Those historical chapters that are, that are in the book. Um, All right. So this also might be a little wordy, but um, (laughs) There's, it'll be Love worth it. it. I'm going to try to make it <laughs> worth it. Uh, first, I do want to say something about Janine also as an editor, because, you know, the, I, I love the book and I love it in its final form. Uh, what I originally wrote was about twice as long. <laughs> yeah. So I believe the, that. I believe that knowing yeah, you for so long. <laughs> so, she, she cut a good 30, 40,000 because when I'm like, wow. when I'm writing, I'm like, I was like, there's an idea. And you have to get yeah. the idea across. Because yeah. like to, to what I love about doing books is that to me, it's like, this is one thought, <laughs> you know, it's just the ability to take one thought and, and follow it through as completely as you possibly can, but it's still just the one idea. Mm-hmm. And so when she did first bring it to me, you know, the idea of just doing a, um, you know, this uh, coffee table book that was about, you know, black family home uh, uh, house tours. I never want to write something that's just a design book. So it was like, well, but when we when we came on this idea of the journey to home Mm. and, you know, what does that mean uh, across centuries? But then what does it also mean for the individual? So now we're not just walking through someone's house going, okay, well, here's a chair. Here's a table. Here's a a nice bookshelf. We're saying, you know, what is the whole story of how you you from not only you, but your parents here? You know, the, the question, first question we asked everybody was, what's the first home you remember? Ah, because good one. your story of home, your understanding of home begins with that first home that you yeah. recall, and it builds and it grows with every home that you have after that. And so, being able to to trace that story and then trace it back beyond even the person that we're talking to, mm. and find those connection points to these larger stories, you know, is, is how it started to come together. Um, but I love the two quotes that you just read. Uh, because I do feel like they, they fit together and they bookend so, so well. So I'm, I'm so happy that you brought up specifically in that, that, that list of, of characteristics control, mm. because it is, it, 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 as much as we talk about safety, like that idea of control of, of freedom can't right. really be stated because wherever we are as black people outside of our homes, there's always the question, what are you doing here? <laughs> Why are you here? Right. You know, and it doesn't matter where you are. You could be in a museum. You could be, again, we saw with Skip Gates, you could be in your own home and people are still asking, why are you here? <laughs> what right do you have? So it's the same, you know, we, we, we know we look back in history and have this idea of freedom papers. Mm-hmm. And then we talk in the book, you know, after um, emancipation and as the, the, 
the prison industry came to take over the role of slavery for mm-hmm. black people in America, it became about uh, employment papers. Right. Do you have a job. And if you didn't have a job, that was illegal and you could be arrested yeah. for, for uh, loitering. Which I or, didn't realize know. until I read this and I was like, mm-hmm. whoa, that yeah. I did not know. So, yeah. And, and then once you were yeah. arrested, you could be leased out and we still do prisoner leasing today. So, mm. you know, that idea of, of being able to just to have a space where you can just create. Right. You know, a lot of the, the amazing things that we see in these interiors come out of the, of the simple fact that home was where these people were able to be as creative as they wanted to be. I mean, if you look at the homes like Paul from Pat's, you know, the amazing artists, or you look at mm-hmm. uh, like John Goodman, his home, it was like, here, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. And nobody asks me, I don't have to explain it to anybody. And if anybody does ask me, I tell them it's my home. I do what I like here. And that is such a rare thing. As we say, you know, like you don't have to fight for it. You don't have to carve it out. You don't have to defend it. Mm-hmm. You know, no one, no one feels like they have the access to just walk up and touch your home, mm. you know, mm-hmm. and there's that there's such empowerment in that for, yeah. for black people. And then as we talk about the, the ways in which that is a response to the needs that history creates mm-hmm. for our community, you know, when you look at these, these headwinds that are listed at the end, you know, um, you know, legal oppression. So you're talking about everything from redlining and race covenants to the highway system that was used mm-hmm. to destroy black communities, uh, eminent domain, right. yes. things that continue to be going on. Today. And now we're seeing everything from Hurricane Katrina to right now, right at this very moment, the COVID-19 crisis being used as an opportunity and excuse to, to further projects of gentrification in places all over this country that we won't hear about that, that yes. will not be openly acknowledged for maybe another five to 10 years when, when it's over and like everybody's gone and, and Harlem is no longer black and Baltimore is no longer right. black. And then like Philly and DC and when everyone's gone, then they go, oh, well, you know what? This really happened around COVID, but it's happening right this moment. Exactly. So what we're seeing and what we try to point out in this is how this is part of this suite of overlapping oppressions mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that they give each other a very useful sense of plausible deniability. So for example, just using COVID as an example, we don't have to talk about how black neighborhoods are being taken over or how gentrification is taking leaps and bounds during this moment because the pandemic is just killing so many African-Americans. Yeah. We've, we've been talking about it from the very beginning, from the very beginning, like a, a couple of weeks into the pandemic, we started seeing reports of who was dying broken along racial lines. And I felt that to be so telling about the country we live in, because who looks at a, a, a lethal virus and yeah. decide that the important statistic to pull out of this is the skin color <laughs> and the ethnic background of the people who are dying as if right. the virus had a preference. All right. Yeah. But if the virus is killing all the black people, the virus is clearing out all these homes. Mm. Then you don't have to talk about right. the gentrification of, of who's moving in. Mm-hmm. You know, right. same thing that happened with Katrina. If, if the water cleared all of these people out, if it killed so many, if it destroyed all of these homes and when these homes are rebuilt, well, now they're mm-hmm. brand new, you know, wonderful, beautiful homes. Mm-hmm. We're not really paying attention to who moved in and, and what right. was lost in that process. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes this, this, but it, it, it doesn't always have to be that clean. We talk about mm-hmm. places like Oscarville or Seneca Village that were mm-hmm. actually just sort of destroyed through violence. 
and mm-hmm. we're either, you know, made part of a, a man-made lake or we're turned into, I think, Central Village became part of Central Park. Right. And so, you know, you you see that going, but but it's easy to give plausible deniability to that expansion of gentrification if you're like, well, it was the virus. But it doesn't have to be the virus because you can say that, oh, well, why are there no Black people that live in this area? Well, this is a very affluent area. Black people don't have as much money. Well, they don't have as much money because even with, you know, regardless of education, there's a, a pay disparity. Yeah. You know, there's a wealth disparity. Um, yes. There's an inheritance disparity, both of which are, are very largely predicated on a housing disparity. But if you're not going yeah. to look at all of them together, then it just becomes, well, you know, you just don't see them here or exactly. they don't do enough to get here. Yeah. And I think mm. you're right, Ben, about like, you know, Brian always says, you know, slavery you know, is is a foundational trauma in mm. America. And what what becomes mm. the United States of America? I mean, the first trauma in this country was the destruction of Native American communities right. before there was even an America. And then slavery, you know, mm-hmm. occurs. And and so it 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 it's woven through everything. And I think that's yeah. what you really do see in that journey home and also the experiences of Black homeowners. You know, I, we d- definitely have an idea to expand the concept of this book to other mm. parts of the, the diaspora. Um, yeah. And so it's our hope to be able to come to Europe to mm. tell the stories of, of Black people mm-hmm. in the Caribbean, to tell the stories of um, throughout of different countries throughout the African continent and how um, colonization impacted mm-hmm. Africa and the idea of home. And so um, I'm hoping that that is something that if, if people come and get this book and yes. pre-order it, and yes. that it, and we get good numbers that we can yeah. say to our publisher, hey, we want to continue to tell the story. Right now we're telling the story in America because those are our ancestors. Um, but I think there's so many more stories to be told. And um, it would be really exciting for us to go and be able to go to other parts of the diaspora to yes. talk about what others have gone through as well. Yeah, I think it would be really interesting here in the UK to um, start yeah, digging absolutely. and uncovering a lot of the stories here, um, and especially with the, the Windrush generation yes. mm-hmm. here. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think that would be really um, Let me just have a word with your publishers. <laughs> <laughs> So while we're on this topic, I just wanted to ask if you can, um, one thing that really made me um, start thinking was, um, you know, institutional racism and in, in America specifically, because we're on this subject of America, um, that is designed to alienate and prevent African, the African-American community from achieving the American dream of home ownership and how it continues today. Um, so from preventing land ownership by anyone other than white men to more recently, um, the access of PPP loans. So we were just discussing this, but, um, you know, can you talk a, a bit more about beyond COVID, how it shows up in the prevention of, um, you know, accessing the American dream and mm. that, you know, ultimate joy of <laughs> that goal of home ownership. Yeah. I mean, the American dream, you know, was, was, you know, never 
considered for black people. That is a right. white. It wasn't designed. Male. Yeah. You know, a white male institution, right? Totally. Of the, you know, American, American dream. It um, wasn't for women as well. <laughs> no, no, it was no, not yeah, for yeah, women. Yeah. It was not yeah. for anyone other than a white, white heterosexual male who owned property and, yeah. and had some level of, you know, currency and power. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, something that it's this journey of you're like you said, you're never at home here. And that is drilled in from the very beginning of, of black people arriving to this country. Mm-hmm. Um, so for, for African-Americans during the period of slavery, you didn't actually have, you had slave quarters mm-hmm. um, and the slave quarters were, in, were off of the big house mm-hmm. and they actually were not any sort of home at all. <laughs> they they right. had their floor, many of them. Um, they were not comfortable uh, mm-hmm. in any way. And they were extensions of the big house. So they were right. many times the kitchen. Um, they were, uh, or, or, you know, a hearth that was there. And then you basically, you know, grew, I, I actually think it was Frederick Douglass who actually said, you know, he grew up in the kitchen, you know, right. that was his house. Um, and so that, idea of you're never really you're you're never really home there is no Mm. comfortable place for you continues you know over 400 years yes in this country um and so there is always that that feeling of this is not for you and it's not for you to attain and so what we find is even for many of our homeowners in this in this book, um, they actually are pointing out to us things like race covenants in right. uh, Tracy and Amir Smith right. outside of San Diego. That property that they bought yeah. still in the contract is the race covenant. That I says, was going to mention that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's that incredible, says, right? Can you, can you tell everybody say, what it said? Yeah, that you cannot sell this home to a black person. Like it right. says that in the covenant. So you know these things they're they're still there. Um, mm. And even the experiences of Camille and Joe, who mm. talked about just the hardship that they went through trying to buy their home right. and feeling like they had to write letters and they were trying to get people to basically sponsor them to say we are a good family and we deserve to be able to buy this home. And we're, we're yeah. coming up against so many walls to the point that it was like, okay, this is racism because it's not yes. making sense. And our own experience buying a home mm-hmm. and uh, what we went through, it was not, not easy. And it was not, um, we, we talked to friends who were white and were like, Hey, like this is happening. Has this ever happened to you? Um, mm. To the point where, uh, to get our home, I actually had to write a letter to the president of the bank because there was a specific woman who every time we were about to get, get to closing, right. um, at the, she would just be like, oh, but you don't have this paper. Oh, you don't have this. And I'd be like, well, first, you never told us that we needed to have this. Like, it's not on the list. And what are you talking about? And and um, eventually I wrote a letter to the president saying this person is definitely doing things that are stepping in front of us being able to get our home. And right. I've talked to other people and they haven't gone through this. And now I can only figure that this is racism. Mm-hmm. And finally, after that letter went through, 
like within 48 hours, we finally got our loan approved. So even if that, if yes. it hadn't been for, you know, um, some, some real, really amazing help. Um, and even, uh, a, a, a personal relationship of, you know, we were going to basically my family banks, uh, a place my family's been banking with since I was a child and yeah. my parents had such a great relationship with one person in particular there. And if that person hadn't stepped up and basically stayed late on a night right. to help us navigate, you know, it was it was still a thing of of the the paperwork that had to get in and things that were done and it was it was a question of seconds at right. the end of a friday before our closing got pushed back something like another oh three God. months yeah. and so uh because this person stepped up and you know a few other people were saw what we were going through and were willing to kind of take a couple of extra seconds but but you shouldn't have to jump like, through these hoops right like should it, it, be a fight it of a doesn't make sense seconds? No, yeah. No. And uh, like for me, I'm actually not even I'm not even really going to try to answer this question. Mm. But one of the things I love so much about this book is mm. being a, 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 an avowed recovering academic lifelong nerd. I, I love that <laughs> we put a, a bibliography at the end of it. Yes, I noticed that. For a couple of reasons. Yes. Um, for one, because understanding that there is a, as we talk about systematic racism, the ways in which it's woven into American culture society, there's an instinctive reaction of disbelieving black experience. Yeah. When somebody says, this is what's happened to me. Well, I was go, but was it really as bad? Was slavery really as bad? Was prison really like, was it really what you're saying it was? And so it's important to be able to say, here's where a lot of this information comes from. It's not the full bibliography, but some of the most important ones. But mm -hmm. it's also a way of pointing out places where you can read more and learn more yes. from people who are better at a particular aspect of this than we are. You know, so being able to look at you know, you know, work like that that's being done. A lot of it being done by Black economists like uh, mm -hmm. Janelle Jones, like well, William Darity Jr., uh, who are both you know, I think just amazing. Um, really starts to dig into a lot of, of information that more people need to have because, you know, we're, the, the, we're encouraged by the society, by, you know, representations and media and things like that yeah. to believe that this is a, a simple situation and that it's just the way that it is mm -hmm. without reference to all of the time and history that's going into making it this way or the right. things that are being done right now to keep it this way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, I mean, I feel like we could talk about this for not just hours, days, weeks, and months. And yes, months. We it should, should be talk a course. Yeah. <laughs> it should be a course. You need to, you need to have a course, Brian. I think we, we need to teach. <laughs> we need to do it together because, like, you know, I, look, it's also because if if, well, if yeah. I don't have her, then I'll just go on for way too long. Yeah, you know? Janine should also have a course. I mean, y'all should have <laughs> an after sheet course. We'll talk. We'll we'll discuss at the end of the show. I like that. Uh, or after the show. Yeah, I mean, talk to you know, like we're we're happy to come to Oxford if you like, if y'all are offering. You know, like we'd love to do more like a professors in residence type of deal. I'll have know. to call my people. <laughs> <laughs> I have to share one of my favorite, favorite, favorite quotes in the book. Mm, and I love to hear many favorite quotes. That's awesome. Well, this is just like it just got me thinking, and I was like, one of the things that I noticed right away was all of the color in the book, like the vibrancy. And, um, and so one of my favorite quotes was from Shauna Freeman and she stated color is an heirloom. 
And I was just like, mm. yes, that is, that is a, just that, that one mm. quote, color is an heirloom. Mm. Um, one thing that really stands out in these homes um, is the owner's relationship to color. And the book mm. is so vibrant and the homes evoke so much joy and comfort and love. And um, I just, I just had to share that that was one of my, you know, I have oh, a lot of favorite right. quotes in the book. Mm -hmm. I, I'm so keep on glad. The book. We're, we're both so glad that yeah. you have a lot of favorite quotes. And I think it's just, you know, um, we've been asked about things like color and people are mm -hmm. like, oh, did you like go and make sure you found like colorful homes? We're like, no, we just went to people that we liked and yeah. that we knew were very authentic people and asked yeah. them to be a part of the book. But I think that um, African-Americans aren't afraid of color. Um, right. And that's, that actually just goes throughout the diaspora. Like there is no fear of color. I have all the choices. <laughs> yeah. I've like, been really struck, you know, by, um, you know, sort of what is sort of like the normal American home mm -hmm. um, where it's like, people get really afraid of color. Like, I'm just like, it literally is just like paint. It's okay. Like totally. it's fine. Like, right. If you don't it's like not it, forever. Paint over it, you can <laughs> like get rid of it. And people will have this like, I can't do it. It's too much. And, and for black homes, it's always been like color sometimes to mm -hmm. degrees that I, I don't, embrace uh, you know african-americans loved in the 90s it was very common to go into an african-american relative's home to go into a relative's home and see an orange wall or a yellow wall and those are like some of the hardest colors to design yeah. with and and but people loved it because they're like oh it's like the sunset and it just is so warm and there's this warmth um that happens but what we do love especially from a design perspective is that embrace of color and just embracing decorating your home freely. Like it's, it's not, it doesn't need to be a painful enterprise. It doesn't mm -hmm. need to be overthought. It does, you know, we tell people this all the time. Like you don't have to be wealthy. You don't like, it really is just about what it says to you and also how you're telling your story. And that's where the design begins and color is such a big part of that because color evokes memory. Um, yes. And, you know, it, you know, whether it's something like, oh, I just love blue because maybe you had a, a blue room as a child or something yeah. that just attracted you, always calmed you. And people want to integrate that into their home. So we're always, I think I love that culturally we embrace color, we embrace art, we embrace having fun with our yeah. homes. Yeah. And yeah. in the end, that's why so many of these homes are so authentic mm. and interesting is because every one of these folks, they just really, you know, embrace what they loved and yeah. it's there in a very authentic way. Yeah, they're all just being them. I mean, um, and there yeah. are ways, there are ways even to do like the the R's and you know, I mean, Alexander Smalls' home just is, yes. you yes. know, that, 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 that quintessential african-american color palette of like the orange wall the yellow wall. but then at the same time what i love so much about his home is it's the combination it, it, it expresses him so so succinctly and so beautifully when you read his story because his his place is this combination 1920s harlem renaissance parlor and north carolina country kitchen south carolina, yeah. south carolina. 
Yeah, yeah, he will get me on that. But I was, the reason I said North Carolina, so like, don't hurt me, Alexander. The reason I said North Carolina is because I was also you had me thinking about Shauna, and um, what was so amazing with Shauna was that even for her, you know, stepping into that level of personal expression for her was a decision. It was a choice. It was something that she had to take a step at a time. So as she said, like the first room she did was was the bright pink room. Yes, like I one, love, you know, love, her, love. her, her, yeah. her girl did. And it was, she, and just like Janine said, she said, I'm going to try it. It's going to be up here in this back room that I'm not really using. If it looks crazy, then at least nobody will see it. <laughs> she <laughs> she said, if it looks crazy, I'll, I can shut the door. <laughs> right. I yeah. can shut the door. Something like that. Yeah. I, no one will see <laughs> the door. Nobody will see it. And I can figure out what to do with it later, but it turned out yeah. to be amazing. And it got her started on like, well, then let me do this other room. Like in that, the blue yes. room is fantastic. The gold ceiling and all, it mm. is an amazing space. The 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 Moroccan influence and the Egyptian influences and all these things that come into it, you know, things that come from, you know, her family and her history. And mm. so all of those things together, but it, it started her on this path of going, well, I'm going to express myself a little bit here. Yeah. And I like where that's going. So now I'm going to do here. And now she's got this place where it's like this, the like every inch of the place is amazing because then her art collection came in with things that she's been collecting since, you know, living in Virginia, but then especially when she was living in New York, like Brooklyn, she's got the Tribe Called Quest, you know, quotes framed and yes. all of these amazing things. And because she just started to occupy her own space and she's just started to take that moment. And, and they're, they're, it doesn't always go right. I won't be admit, like the home I grew up in, seafoam green. <laughs> I'm, it's a hard I'm not gonna say it's a difficult color it, i'm not gonna say that it can't be done i will say <laughs> in my own experience i don't feel like we landed it quite <laughs> i don't know if we didn't we didn't do the we didn't do it justice um but then also in our defense when we moved into the house i was five years old it had this bright orange wall-to-wall carpeting oh, wow <laughs> that didn't eventually go like there's that's not there anymore but that that carpeting was kind of like where we started so we were you know we had yeah, some things to overcome. <laughs> yeah i don't know who made that choice whoever lived there before but it, it was a choice you know so some people yeah. just have it you know like they yeah. just had that maybe they went into that space and they said i need this to feel like me and I think one of my favorite examples of that is Paul Supat because, you know, as, as an artist and just a, this amazing yeah. use of paints and textures and all these things yeah. in this, this dream world that he says he's existed in since, since growing up in Jamaica. And then mm -hmm. he took his home and said, this is my world, you know, and now he looks at it as that thing that he needs in order mm -hmm. to be able to go out and face the world every day. It's like, I need to, I need to start from here. And when I'm out, I need to know that I'm coming back here. You know, yes. and that's that's what home is. And that's why the color is important and everything that goes into it. Mm. Oh, I love it. I love it. I just I want to live in so many of those rooms. Really cool. <laughs> and so the book is available on the 15th of November. Is yes. it? How do we pre-order it? You know, you can pre-order it by heading to um, the website okay. and you can also uh, yes. So, you know, the, the, I will say, though, we don't we don't get a, I mean, pre-ordering Amazon is what most people do. And okay. we just know that that's how folks buy books. Mm -hmm. And so you can absolutely pre-order on Amazon, AfroChic.com. And you can also visit Penguin Random House and you can pre-order there as well. You can also oh. pre-order through our Instagram account. Yeah, yes. it's kind of. And honestly, if you just type in 
Afro chic celebrating the legacy of the Black family home. It's actually pretty cool. We've seen you can pre-order in Japan. You can pre-order oh, wow. all over the world. So wow. wherever books are sold in your part of the world, you will yes. find that you can pre-order Perfect. there. Perfect. That's so exciting. Okay, people, yes. pre-order the book. Okay, well, it means so much to me that you were able to join me today for our extended gallery date, a gallery <laughs> date first. Um, let's make sure it's not the last one. <laughs> um, I would love to have you back on the show. We love you. We thank yes. you for your great questions. You are awesome at this. I'm excited <laughs> to like catch more of the episodes. Oh, and thank you. You know, this is this is fantastic. <laughs> this is you and your element. I totally love it. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. I miss y'all so much. And I love you. And I'm really so excited for you. Um, this is really, really cool. And I'm oh. so honored. So honored that you took so much time to chat with me about the book. And I cannot wait for the world to read it. Um, it's so well done. And congratulations again. And thank you, thank you, thank you for letting me take a first look at it. And um, I just love it. Okay, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Gallery Date. Join me for our date every Wednesday for a bite-sized episode on thegallerydate.com. Please follow, rate, and review the Gallery Date on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was sponsored by jensingergallery.com. Thanks again for joining me and I'll see you soon.